1: You're listening to Simply Money. We are your trusted financial planning partner and your retirement specialist. I'm Mimi Wagner, along with Nathan Backrack. We make understanding your money simple. Anytime at simplymoneyadvisors.com. Today, a big day starts the World Economic Forum in Switzerland, and all the big wigs will be there. More than 60 heads of state and economic leaders from across the world will be there to hash out all of their financial concerns. So. What will the buzz be about while they are there? What will they be talking, considering, and why do we care? Joining us now to help us figure that all out is um, Andy Stout. Andy is a Chartered Financial Analyst, a Certified Financial Planner, and Simply Money's Managing Director of Investments. Andy, this is something that you've kind of kept a close eye on. Let's talk about exactly what they'll be focusing on here.
2: The World Economic Forum, this is where the economic elite come together to discuss a few things. But what I find...
1: The economic elite. Yeah. That sounds all kinds of fancy.
2: It's very fancy. (laughs) Uh, But what I find really notable is who won't be there. Yeah, a lot
1: of big names, especially from the United States. Well,
2: no U.S. President Donald Mm -hmm. Trump. You do not have French President Macron. Uh, British Prime Minister Theresa May, Chinese President Xi Jinping. We have all these... So when we
1: say it's the elite, it's not the elitist of the elite. It's the JV
2: team, let's just be clear. It's like
1: the B-list or C-list celebrities, if you will.
2: Yeah, so we're not really expecting any truly grand revolutions, Mm -hmm. but there will certainly be some things that will be worth discussing. Because let's face
1: Uh, it, none of the major decision makers are going to be at that table.
2: Right. So we'll be discussing basically the slowing, not negative, but slowing global Uh, economic growth. And that's going to start here in the U.S. and also in China. Those are your two largest economies.
1: Let's talk about the slowing economic growth. I think this is really interesting. I was just reading something that said um, in 2017, sort of all global economies were working together and all were moving in the same direction, improving. Then you had 2018 come around and the United States was the company sort of or the country sort of out in front. Everyone else was slowing and the US was still out in front. Now 2019 has dawned and we have joined ranks with everyone else again. The problem is everyone is sort of on this slower trajectory now.
2: Yeah, and the reason we diverged in 2018 was mostly because of tax reform. Now that we have this Yeah, we got a little Bob. Yeah, we had the uh, the steroids from tax reform. Now that the effects from that are starting to uh, wane a little bit, we're coming back to the pack. So we saw growth probably around three percent or so in 2018. This year, we're going to be looking more around the 2% range. And
1: why do you think that is? Why do you think we're looking at slower economic growth this year than last year?
2: Well, it's the tax reform effects. We're not seeing the big boost from that. So what we're going to be relying on is spending so from not consumers much, like you and me. Not as much use in the economy. Right. So we're going back to where we were before, and it was just basically consumer spending lifting the economy. And that's important because- Consumer spending is about 70% of the total economy, so we want to keep that going. But what would really help lift that above 2% was if we saw businesses start to spend, but we're just not seeing any evidence of that right now.
1: One of the reasons I think businesses are probably uh, slow to make any investments right now is because of the uncertainty over trade war.
2: Yeah, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of unknowns as far as if these tariffs are going to continue. Right now, we're in a a trade war ceasefire where we pause the increase of the tariffs on $200 of Chinese goods. That was supposed to increase from 10% up to 25%. March 2nd is when that's going to increase back up if there hasn't been any real progress with these trade war negotiations that are ongoing.
1: The sense that I get from this, we talk about the trade war, is One step forward, one step back. Two steps forward, two steps back. It seems like we keep ending up in the same place every time we think we're moving in the right direction. Then we get news that, wait a second, there's something else on the table that we hadn't considered before.
2: Yeah, we had some good news last week on these trade war discussions. And then some not so good news today. Last week, there was talk of the U.S. reducing Chinese tariffs. Last week, we learned that China had considered eliminating the trade gap completely. It's like $411 billion that we buy more from China than they buy from us. Now, I don't think that's realistic. I was going
1: to ask you, though, too. Let's talk about that trade gap for a second. Some people like to focus specifically on the trade gap between us and China as something that needs to be truly tackled. A lot of others, though, say it's really not the big deal um, that maybe some are making it out to be. Where do you fall on this? You're an economist.
2: Well, I think it certainly matters from the U.S. perspective. Mm -hmm. And if China were able to narrow that, it will be good uh, for, for U.S. consumers, for U.S. businesses but I don't think they can eliminate it. I don't think they would want to. The simple fact is that means they would have to buy a lot of oil from the U.S. They would have to buy a lot of food from the U.S. And what that would mean, and I'm not saying they won't increase it. I think they probably will, but they won't get that all the way to zero because that's going to get China really reliant on the U.S. And they don't want to be dependent on the U.S. for their basic needs. But to your point about two steps forward, one step back. So we had the good news last week on the trade war. This uh, This week, today specifically, we saw some news about how China is really not budging too much on the intellectual property front. They're saying that they're not requiring, uh, if you want to invest in uh, China, they're not requiring the forced technology transfer. Clearly, that's a big stance from the uh, U.S. administration where they're saying U.S. companies are forced to share their technology trade secrets with China if they want to do business in China. China saying that's not the fact. We don't require it. We don't require that. We don't force that.
1: So they're actually denying what they Absolutely. have been doing this entire time, which is several steps backward, I think, from a lot of people's perspective. Of, this is not fair to do business with a country. We shouldn't have to tell them how we run our business.
2: Right. So if you're forced to tell them all these secrets, what you're essentially doing is you're, you're leveling Giving the up the
1: competitive edge. Yeah.
2: What, I mean, what's the point of investing in your own research? Because they're just going to steal it anyway.
1: You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC this evening as we tackle the fact that some pretty major economic bigwigs are getting together in Switzerland this week to talk about um, what the economy looks like, the global economy. And what they're focusing on and joining me now to talk about that has been Andy Stout, our economist here at Simply Money Advisors. Uh, And Andy, as we look at, of course, um, the talks of the trade war certainly on the table there, some political unrest, though, here at home also on the table. When we look at this government shutdown, uh, the longest in our country's history, we are on day 32 of this shutdown now. Let's talk about what they must be discussing at that table as far as the impact of that globally.
2: Globally, uh, it's not really a big macro Mm -hmm. Factor. It certainly affects people who are, are working for the federal government. I think the next paycheck that federal workers might miss is January 25th. Yeah, it's coming and, up this week. Yeah, and, and 78 percent one. Of, yeah, 78% of people live paycheck to paycheck. 40% of people can't afford a $400 emergency uh, expense that comes up. So being without pay is certainly an issue. As far as any sort of progress we're seeing, we saw a little bit over the weekend, possibly, President Trump basically came out and said that he would uh, open up the government if he got $5.7 billion for his border wall. In exchange, he would give a DACA, uh, which is protection for immigrants uh, brought to the U.S. Uh, children, mm-hmm. he would extend that for three years. Democrats quickly said no, no deal.
1: It seems like as much as people are throwing ideas out there on the table, there doesn't seem to be anything that truly looks like it's going to stick in the near future. So I imagine that, yes, more of these furloughed Federal employees are not going to receive a paycheck again this month.
2: But here's here's the good thing on that. So it appears to be a little bit of a stalemate, but the fact that Trump offered that DACA extension and the fact that Democrats mentioned broader immigration reform because they didn't mention that after they said no. They're getting a little closer? Well, we have to start somewhere. Basically, this is... Could be the start of talking the first steps that could lead to the end of the shutdown.
1: Another thing worth mentioning when we look at um, these economic elite meeting this week to talk about some major economic issues, you mentioned there's a number of people not at this table. One of them, of course, Britain's prime minister, Theresa May, uh, because she needs to stay at home and figure out what the heck is going on with this whole Brexit deal.
2: So Britain is scheduled to leave the European Union from that infamous Brexit vote in June yes. of 2016. They're scheduled to leave March 29th of this year.
1: Yet there's no they have no deal. exit plan. There's no, no plan. there's none
2: at all. And it, honestly, it seems like it's more and more likely they may postpone the exit altogether for a little bit. There could be a second vote on whether they stay in the EU or, or not. They have no clue what's going on. So no one has really any insight as to what's going to happen with britain if they were to leave the eu and odds are they probably will but it could be extended it will have a negative effect on their economy
1: so on this tuesday after the long holiday weekend we don't mean to greet you back with all the negative news of what's going on uh across the world because there is some good news and that's if you look at home with corporate profits
2: and we saw that locally this morning with fifth third yeah so fifth third bank they reported earnings for the quarter, and their earnings were better than expected. And not only that, their sales were better than expected. And we're still pretty early in the earnings season. Earnings season is basically just a period of time when a bunch of corporations report how much money they made last quarter. So we're still early on. But so far, 80% of the companies that have reported have reported better than expected earnings. And looking forward to tomorrow morning, Procter & Gamble will report their earnings. So that's something to watch out for.
1: We'll keep an eye on that. Here's a Simply Money point. The government shut down the trade war and what's going on with that, and slower growth for the economy. All problems right now, but we are starting to see some progress in the right direction. And if you are within five years of retirement and maybe you have saved well, our first round of 2019 Retirement Workshops, they are designed just for you. And these are coming next week. You can learn more about how to make your money last, when to take Social Security, that's a huge decision, how to minimize taxes, and much more. Our Simply Money Advisors team will be in Blue Ash, Florence, Westchester, And we have a brand new location this time in Oakley. These seats are already filling up super fast. So go ahead and reserve your spot now. Just go to simplymoneyadvisors.com. What influences your tips when you go out to eat? It may not be just the major, like the great service or the not so great service. We'll look at exactly what's going through your head there. That's just ahead in three minutes. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station.
0: Advisory services offered through Simply Money Advisors, an SEC registered investment advisor. A copy of our disclosure statement is available upon request.
1: You're listening to Simply Money. We are your trusted financial planning partner and your retirement specialist. I'm Amy Wagner along with Nathan Backrack. We make understanding your money simple anytime at simplymoneyadvisors.com. Coming up at 6:43, how to get your investments ready for you to cross that finish line into retirement. Joining me now is Andy Stout, Chartered Financial Analyst, Certified Financial Planner, and Simply Money's Managing Director of Investments, and apparently the best tipper in town. Uh, Andy, how do you decide how you're going to tip? What's the methodology you have when you're going out to eat?
2: I usually start with about 20% of the total bill, and depending on how services adjust from there.
1: So a new study shows that you may be less influenced by the actual service that you get, Uh, So it doesn't necessarily matter what they're doing, but rather you might be more influenced by how you feel and how you feel about how your money and how rich you're doing, how rich you feel at that moment. I think this is interesting, Andy, because I will say if I have exceptional service or really poor service, that stands out to me and I do tip accordingly. However, let's face it, 90 percent of the time when you go out to eat, the service falls somewhere in the middle. And it's probably not at all influenced by what they're doing, but rather what kind of mood I'm in.
2: You mean it's not based on the study that, depending on how the bill comes out to you, because what the University of Dayton found was tips in gold folders had a, a tip rate of twenty one point five percent, while the tips in black folders were eighteen point nine percent. I that, think this the, is hysterical. Affect you at all?
1: I think that all of us, when we go out to restaurants this week and this weekend, will probably all start getting our bills in gold in gold envelopes. I mean, let's face it, right? If these, if that's truly the difference, and people tip more. When your bill comes to you, you know, like when you get the little black. They're all black. I've never seen gold ever. Well,
2: sometimes you don't even get an envelope. They just hand it to you. Yeah. And when they bring it back to you, they have your credit card paper clipped to the receipt.
1: Exactly. Maybe it depends on how fancy the restaurant. I mean, My kids and I, we, we go to like Skyline. I don't know. Well, <laughs> and yeah. there, is no, there is no black folder or folder of any kind when we go to those kinds of places. But interesting to think about. So uh, next time you eat out, what influences you to tip? Keep in mind, it may not be the person who's actually serving you whatsoever. It may be more, if you had a good day, if you had a bad day, uh, and how you're feeling about your money and how much you think you've got left over in your pocket at the end of I, the day. I just
2: hope that they stop bringing me the bill while we're still eating. That always just drives me a That's little bit. That's not your nuts. thing. No, I hate they that. They immediately I'm go eating.
1: down. It's like, okay, now you only get 10% because I'm still eating and you're rushing me.
2: Well, I probably go to like 195
1: <laughs> It's a much slower scale for you. It,
2: it really is. I, I feel, <laughs> I don't want to say, I, I don't want to hurt anybody's income. For any reason. Well, so I'm a little too nice when it comes to that.
1: Have you ever been a server in a restaurant? No. No. Okay. That's interesting because I think a lot of people who have feel very differently about the whole tipping situation than those who haven't. I have been a hostess, but it was never been a good idea for me to carry out food to people. Um, so we'll just keep an eye on what influences people.
2: I think it's probably just because I understand how everybody's finances work in general. Yeah, that's true. And I don't want to mess up their livelihood just because maybe they, they brought the check out a little bit earlier and my meat the stake was a little overdone or whatever.
1: So you're not messing up anyone's budgeting spreadsheet anytime soon. That's very nice of you, Andy. All right. So someone called our office and said, listen, you always talk about exchange traded funds on the show and you really never mention mutual funds. Why is that? And listen, first of all, you call us, we listen. So tonight we want to dig in a little more about why we like ETFs so much and why we think they should be A central part of your retirement savings. Andy, let's start with an ETF and exactly what it is versus what a mutual fund is.
2: Well, they're very similar, but there are some key differences. The similarities are that they are both funds that hold many different types of investments like stocks or bonds, for example, so they have that in common, and that's where you start to see a little bit of the differences. One of the uh, the big differences uh, are is in the fund's cost. So fees on a mutual fund tend to be a little bit higher than those on an ETF. When I say fees, I'm talking about just the the fund expense f- to keep the fund running.
1: And a lot of people, I think, don't even understand that you pay this when you invest in your 401k. When you have um, any kinds of ETFs, mutual funds, you are paying. Um, internal expenses on them. And a lot of times they are hidden. You have to read the fine print. Uh, They're maybe on page 75 of a really long prospectus, whatever it is. It's not easy to figure out how much you're paying on one investment product versus another. But it is important to understand that the major difference here being that mutual funds are mostly actively managed. And what that means is there is often some like big wig on Wall Street, making decisions about that fund and what kind of investments and in truly tweaking it on sometimes a, a weekly, daily basis. And they're getting paid a heck of a lot of money to do that.
2: Yeah, so it's that active management versus the passive management where ETFs are just trying to match the index that they're essentially tracking. So there's there are no index one mutual there's fund, no with so their fingers too. all over that kind right. of, yeah. So th- it's less cost involved. But another cost that's involved with mutual funds is something called a sales commission or a load. Uh, and this is basically a commission that you would pay when you buy or sell the fund. Now, I'm not a fan of of these types of load funds at all. And here's how, much, here's how much I don't like them. In the fall, I teach an investment class at uh, Northern Kentucky University. And I actually have an extra credit question at the end of the first exam. Oh, right, here, so
1: hopefully all of your students, yeah. your future students are listening right now, so they'll already know what the question's gonna Spoiler,
2: be. Spoiler, the answer is B, by the <laughs> way. No, I'm not kidding about that. So here it is, word for word. Professor stout opinion on mutual fund loads are, and then B is the answer again, but it's that you should never buy them. That is mm-hmm. my personal opinion. You can always find some better option. Now, if you really like that mutual fund... Professor
1: Stout, why do you feel so strongly about that?
2: Because if you really like that mutual fund, odds are it's available in some sort of a load-waived format, so you don't have to pay the load. Because uh, paying that load or sales commission, you're essentially just lining the pocket of some sort of salesperson. And there's always... A better option rather than just giving away 5% of your investment. These loads can be big. You can pay 5% of your investment upfront. So if you put $10,000 into a mutual fund, it's already at 9500 on day one. That's a big hurdle that you have to overcome. But so don't if you think you're that's taking my class problem? next fall, remember the answer is B.
1: B. Got it. I will uh, be sure to sign up. Maybe yeah. I'll audit that class. But don't you think for a lot of people, that's part of the problem? Because the average Joe doesn't understand that, okay, if someone's recommending that this is a, a good investment for me, that even if I think that, yes, I do want to be invested in the SP 500, the 500 greatest or 500 best companies or whatever it is, maybe in that mutual fund, um, that I might be able to go elsewhere and get it and not pay that fund manager and Wall Street or wherever he is sitting or wherever they are sitting right now. Um, I might be able to get it for cheaper. It's like shopping around for. Whatever you got your kids for Christmas, you know there might be a cheaper place to find that Nintendo Switch or whatever it is. We know that when we're consumer shopping at stores, we don't always know that when it comes to investments.
2: Yeah, having some sort of financial education is really important when it comes to this sort of stuff. Uh, so, ETFs and mutual funds—we talked about the selection being different. Another difference between the two is the timing. If you want to buy or sell in. ETF or an exchange traded fund, you can do that anytime when the market's open from 9:30 a.m. to 4 p.m. Just like a stock, right? And if you want to buy a mutual fund, what's going to happen is you're going to get whatever the price for that mutual fund is at the end of the day. So if you see something during the day and you think it's an opportunity and you want to buy at a certain point or to sell at a certain point, you may put that order in at the time you want to execute it, but you're not going to get that price. You're going to get the price of wherever those stocks or bonds that are in the mutual fund end up trading at the end of the day.
1: And while we do love ETFs, exchange traded funds, just like anything investing, we were saying not all ETFs are good. Some of them do have high expenses. Some of them are exposed to very small sectors. Hey guys, it is
0: Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions
1: 18+. And some are leveraged, so make sure that you are doing your homework no matter what you're investing in. There's the Simply Money point. Many exchange-traded funds have substantial benefits over single stocks, and mutual funds make sure they are a key component of your investment strategy. And if you're in within 5 years of retiring, our team here at Simply Money Advisors is here to help you schedule a personalized retirement assessment. Go to simplymoneyadvisors.com, click on the contact button at the top of the home page. Just that at 643 the unfortunate rise of financial abuse for the elderly and how to protect your older parents. You're listening to Simply Money. We are your trusted financial planning partners and your retirement specialist. I'm Amy Wagner, along with Nathan Backrock. We make understanding your money simple anytime at simplymoneyadvisors.com. Joining us this evening is Mark Reckman, our Just expert on all things estate planning and helping with your maybe elderly parents. He is a partner at the law firm of Wood and Lamping. This is a pretty common scenario, Mark. Your parents live out of town, and maybe there are no siblings or other family members who live in the same town as your parents do. So you're trying to help them from a distance with maybe managing their health, managing their money. You're sort of a long-distance caregiver. Let's talk about what this entails, what we need to be thinking about.
3: Well, it's certainly becoming more and more common as people spread out uh, in this economy. People move out of town to pursue jobs and careers. And so uh, children are frequently separated from their parents by miles, which is fine when your parents are 50. It gets a little different when your parents are 85 or 90.
1: There are different roles that you can play uh, in this situation. One of them maybe just even getting information together, but all the way down to actually paying their bills and managing their money. So let's talk about what these options are and what you need to know.
3: I think there are really three different uh, ways I would describe these jobs. One is the person who gathers the information, one who coordinates service, which means care, and the third is the one who manages the money. So let's talk first about the person who gathers information. Uh, The place to start is to make a journal, a journal of contact information. It doesn't have to be a written journal. Of course, it can be electronic. But you want to make a list of all the professionals, the doctor, the lawyer, the accountant, the money manager, the pharmacy, all names, addresses, emails, phone numbers, and make a list. You also want a list of medications, a list of the assets. That's a big one. And last but not least, a list of all the credit accounts.
1: It's sort of the things that you should have for yourself anyway. Uh, you're just making sure that now you have it for your parents as well. well.
3: And your parents are always taking care of this themselves. Why yeah. Why would you sit down and make a list of someone else's uh, important information? yes. And the answer is, yeah, well, as as you become more involved in their care, you need to know everything about them that you know about yourself. We also need you to start collecting paperwork, Uh, get a copy of the power of attorney, the living will, the last will and testament. Burial instructions is a big one. I got a call just last week from somebody who called me saying, pull my, my mother died, pull the file. I want to know what her burial instructions are. Well, quite frankly, Amy, lawyers don't handle burials. We have nothing in our file regarding burial instructions because by the time the lawyer gets involved, it's almost always after the funeral. So if I've got burial instructions and I'm not contacted. They need to be
1: communicated to that family member rather than waiting until it's too late and have no idea what those wishes were. Right.
3: So when you gather this information, get burial instructions and add that to the pile.
1: You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC. Are you a long-distance caregiver? Does this sound like you? Your parents live in a different city. Maybe they're getting a little older and you need to help them a little bit with their, their health, with their money, whatever that situation is. One of the situations you might be in is you're the service coordinator. Another one, though, maybe that you're the bill payer and investment manager. Mark, if that's the case, what do we need to be thinking about?
3: Service coordinator is a care role. And so you need to figure out about how to manage physical care. Often that involves hiring home health aides. I'm a big fan of using geriatric care managers. This is a social worker or someone with, a, with some kind of a degree of that kind who lives in the city where your parents are, who Boots on the ground. They literally go and physically visit your parents, once a week, once a month, whatever's appropriate, and make sure that all the things in the house are safe and that there's proper hydration and nutrition. Um, you need to be. Sh- you need to get a lawyer, a relationship with a lawyer who knows elder law, home maintenance companies. Somebody's got to shovel that snow.
1: That's true. All the things that need to happen in that yard to make sure that if your parents going out that they're safe and they can make it. To the car or right. to someone picking them up. Yeah, absolutely.
3: And along those same lines, somebody who'll fix the furnace if your parents' furnace goes out in the middle of winter. Um, so making a list of all of the service providers, the vendors, is an important part of this job. And when it comes to paying bills, you've got to start by getting a power of attorney in place that names you as a legal agent. you got to get control of the checkbook and their credit cards. I'm a big fan of online banking because that means you don't have to have everything in one place, that you can actually do it remotely. That's um, a good one. Forwarding mail is a great way to control uh, not only statements, but also to minimize mail scams and minimize these these letters you get over and over again from fake charities. That you
1: might know, of course, never to fall for, but a, a, as an elderly person who in some cases are dealing with maybe some forms of dementia, Symptoms like that, their faculties may not be what they once were. You're just helping to sort of intercede on their behalf and protect them from those sorts of downfalls.
3: I'm also a fan of getting rid of unused credit cards. It's, it's interesting how we accumulate credit cards in our wallet. Sometimes we have that primary credit card, but frequently people will have a backup, and then they'll have a gas card, and then they'll have a reward card.
1: And maybe several retail cards.
3: Exactly. Get those cards, get them canceled, get them cut up, Because all of those cards are opportunities for someone to come in and run up a big bill on your parents' behalf.
1: As we look tonight at what happens if you're a long-distance caregiver, another thing to keep in mind is that you have to communicate, 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 and, and do that respectfully and with dignity with that elderly person in your life. You're also going to have to be incredibly patient here and realistic about what you can do and then expect that you will probably be making many trips. Joining us this evening with all of this insight our expert on all things estate planning and help when it comes to taking care of our elderly family members has been Mark Ruckman. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. We are your trusted financial planning partner and your retirement specialist. I'm Amy Wagner, along with Nathan Backrack. We make understanding your money simple anytime at simplymoneyadvisors.com. Credit score looking maybe a little shabby. How you can improve that number and your financial life at the same time and probably save yourself tens of thousands of dollars over the course of your lifetime just ahead in 10 minutes. Joining me now is Ricky Mulvey, one of our producers here at Simply Money. And we talk about retirement a lot on the show. Ricky, you're in your 20s, so you have a long time to a think long about time.
4: this. A I, I help produce the show so I'm surrounded by a lot of retirement so box. you're so constantly I'm, I'm very, thinking about it in I'm your constantly 20s. thinking about it and I'm lucky because it is one of those things where you know uh you know I don't know what I'm going to be doing in 40 years but I know sure. I'm going to be set up because I'm laying some of the foundations right now oh and-
1: if we had all only had been thinking about this when we were in our early 20s we would all be in better shape but no matter what your age is there are certain things that when it comes to retirement you need to be thinking about especially when you're staring down the barrel of a look at this 25 to 30 year retirement. It should be, you know, how can I get my investments ready? What do I need to be thinking about? And
4: the first thing that that i'm looking at and everyone should be looking at that you look at it's your risk tolerance mm-hmm. and so this is something that when i came in and i was setting up my 401k brian james helped me out with and he brian said james one of, brian of our, james, our advisors
1: cert- certified financial planner uh-huh. here yes
4: and we were looking at um what what i should be going and i'm like i don't know what the market's gonna do i'm a little worried he's like ricky don't you work on the show and then he's like go aggressive go growth because he, and he said he's like why are you even looking at this just contribute and walk away
1: contribute and walk away and when we we look at this when you're in your 20s, Ricky, you're not going to be 100% in bonds. No, you, I mean you're probably going to be 100% in stocks yeah. because that's what makes the most sense for you. But know that your age, your stage, uh, your goals when it comes to your finance are going to have a very different sort of picture for yeah. each person. Which is why we would tell you you have to figure out your individual risk tolerance. And this is sort of like a, a Goldilocks situation and not for just, everyone.
4: Not just individual, though. I think Amy and it's I, I have met more so my parents' friends where. You'll meet the husband who is very, very risky. Let's go stocks all the way. And then, you know, maybe a wife or reverse. It doesn't matter. But, hey, I want to do bonds. I The CNBC headlines keep me up at night. And so one of the cool things that I know we have at Simply Money is a tool called Riskalyze. Mm-hmm. And this is a way of saying, you know, what happens when uh, if you see your investments go down by 20 percent? What happens if you see them go down by 10 percent? How do you react? But the thing about these tools is it's great for planning. But you also and this, these are the questions you ask when people sit down here is, what happened the last time there was a big market crash? What did you do in December when everything was going up and down and it just looked wild? What happened in 2008? Because that's how you found out your risk tolerance.
1: Well, and I can tell you that my husband and I have very different tolerance when it comes to risk. You know, I mean, he has the risk tolerance of a hundred-year-old person, and you never
4: guessed that meeting David, no, airline I mean, pilot, a, exactly. Yeah. Right?
1: He's he likes to take a lot of like physical risks in life, but when it comes to money. He's not exactly the same way. And a lot of couples probably don't sit down and ever kind of have this sort of topic, this sort of discussion. And so what happens is you're on completely different pages. Maybe one person is the person, and often it's the man, uh, who are dealing with that financial advisor. And so maybe what you're invested in doesn't truly reflect where you are as a couple. So I would say don't only figure out your risk tolerance, but figure it out. Ricky, you're right. Make sure that both of you are on the same page. Another thing you have to look at here is your time horizon. How long does that money need to last for you?
4: Yeah, so for me, it's it's a little bit different than than you, different from Joe, our producer. It's different than Nathan Backrack. For me, I'm looking at look, down the barrel of what, like, 60 years, maybe, maybe even more. I'm I'm in my well, 20s. and millennials say yeah. you want to
1: retire at like the age of 37. I want
4: to, yeah, I want to be a fire movement <laughs> child. I want to retire at the age of 40, and I want it to last until I'm 120. Amy, what do I do? You mentioned um,
1: fire, and that's of course financial, financial. independence. Retire early, a, a huge thing. And if you read any kind of blogs about retirement. It is people Ricky's age planning on retiring in the next five years by taking some insanely um, different and conservative decisions about how they're going to spend their money.
4: It's a sad way of life. it's, (laughs) It's besides the topic. But anyway, time horizon. So for me, 60 to 80 years, that's something I really don't need to worry about. But I do. Anyone needs to worry about the buckets of money. And this is something I do. So I have my emergency fund. That's number one. And, you you know, I know I, if only I I learned it from someone, I think I learned it from you and Nathan. (laughs) So, and that helped me out because I had a recently had a car wreck where I was in Clifton and the side of my car split into the side of another car. And my parents Stupid called me. Car, yeah. My parents called me, and they're like, "Ricky, how are you, you're going to pay for this? How are you going to pay for it?" And I said, "I have an emergency fund." And they were so happy. Your parents have that to I be the
1: happiest parents on the planet that you work card. here, and you know this because most kids would be putting it on a credit card.
4: Exactly, and we see that a lot closer to retirement with health expenses and things that pop up, student loan debt when kids don't pay it back, and the grandparent has co-signed on it. Um and then the other thing I think we want to look at is diversification because my diversification is going to look different than your diversification.
1: It's different for everyone. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about what that mix is between stocks and bonds and you know foreign investments, emerging markets, what you need here at home. But again, it's a, it's a very different decision for each person. And I always say that it's kind of like when you go to the doctor, right? Um you know, Ricky is what 22? You would not so for Close every enough. 22, 23? Yeah,
4: when, it was my birthday.
1: Oh, that's right. It's okay, my birthday. Today's your birthday? No, it
4: was a couple days ago. Oh, okay. It was fine. Thanks, okay. Amy.
1: All right. Happy birthday to you, Ricky. <laughs> so, every 23 year old who goes to the doctor with a headache is not going to get the same prescription, mm-hmm. right? Every person my age who goes to the doctor with a headache or a stomach ache or whatever isn't going to get the same prescription. We are all different. And that's what we have to figure out when it comes to diversification, when it comes to risk tolerance. Mm-hmm. You really want to be working with someone who has had experience working through these things a certified financial planner, a chartered financial analyst who can sit down across the table from you and help you figure out what that is. And another thing, too, you have to think about is your health horizon. And this actually makes a lot of people make decisions that aren't the right ones for them. And I have to tell you, I have an uncle by marriage who retired when he was uh, right before he turned 60. Incredibly Mm. healthy. Okay. Incredibly healthy. Works out at the gym all the time. um, Going to take Social Security as soon as he possibly can. Okay. uh, Because... He has, like, great-grandparents who died at an early age, and I I say to him all the time, no, no, no. Mm -hmm. Like, you have the means to put off taking that Social Security at an early age. You're going to get a much higher benefit. But so many of us are tempted to make these decisions because – we don't we don't know what the future holds and that's why you really have to look at okay what's the health of my parents my grandparents how often do i see a doctor yeah. am i on any kinds of medications for sort of life altering situations mm-hmm. if you have a cancer diagnosis or you know diabetes it's really affecting your life maybe then your health horizon will be different but for many of us we need to be looking at a longer lifespan than ever before.
4: And I had a I had a family member with sort of a similar discussion. So Social Security, when you break it down, age 80 is about the crossover. That's when you start receiving that's more. Break-even it, point. That's the break-even point. Yes. That's the word. So, and I had a discussion. A family of mine, a uh, family member of mine, uh, sort of extended, was diagnosed with uh, with cancer. And he said, I'm going to take Social Security early because just, you know, not morbidly, but realistically just not looking. not knowing what that. Not yeah. knowing what the future is and just say, you know what, I'm going to take the checks while I can get them because I don't know how I'm going to be in 10 years. And it's it is kind of sad, but that is a critical part of looking at any investment. And for me too, I know that healthcare costs, you know, I don't know a lot, but 40 years from now it's going to be so insanely high or there's a high chance of healthcare yes. costs continuing to go up and up and up in the decades to come. And that to be frank, that scares me a little bit.
1: Well, there's a lot to Not necessarily be scared of, but certainly to think about and take very seriously as you think about retirement. And that's why if you're within five years of retirement and you've saved well, our first round of 2019 retirement workshops, they are designed just with you in mind. You want to come and learn how to make sure that your money does last, when you should take that Social Security, how to minimize your taxes, what you should plan for when it comes to health care, and much more. Next week, our Simply Money Advisors team, we will be in Blue Ash Florence, Westchester, and a brand new location, this one is in Oakley. And seats, I'm telling you now, they are filling up fast. Reserve your spot now at simplymoneyadvisors.com. Here's the Simply Money point. Prepping your investments for retirement, it means diversifying for your risks. You also need to understand your time horizon and your risk tolerance. Coming up in just three minutes, why improving your credit is a marathon, not a sprint. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, The Talk Station. You're listening to Simply Money. We are your trusted financial planning partner and retirement specialist. I'm Amy Wagner, along with Nathan Backrack. We make understanding your money simple anytime. At SimplymoneyAdvisors.com. Joining me now in the studio, Ricky Mulvey, Simply Money's producer, Millennial Extraordinaire, uh, and someone who, for your age, and I, I hate to keep going back to the age, but you're 23. I know. Um you talk about my age so I, much. Well, it's it's different from my age. You're it's a, a couple you're a couple of years younger okay. than me. Just a couple. Yet your eyes are very focused on making smart financial decisions. Mm-hmm. And one of those is making sure that your credit score is as good as it possibly can be. And I gotta tell you, yeah. Ricky, at the age of twenty-three, that was not on my top 10 list of things well, i needed to tackle
4: it wasn't great to begin with when i was when i was a teenager i got added as an authorized user to my parents credit cards pretty late maybe that was a trust thing mm-hmm. but it's it's when you're a kid that's basically one of the only ways that you can really build credit But um, number one, I I did this working here because we always say check your credit report for any errors at Mm annualcreditreport.com. Did you find any errors? I didn't find any errors because there wasn't a lot to check.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting, though. um, Andy Stout, who is on the show today as well, is a professor. And this Mm -hmm. is one of the things that he has his students do as an assignment. And they very often find mistakes and errors in a lot of cases. These are errors that are costing you on your credit score. And many of us don't ever pull that credit report to even check it.
4: And it's one of those things you assume. I think a lot of people assume that there's not going to be errors on there. Because you're like, oh, it's my like my credit card usually doesn't have errors. Why would my credit or I don't feel like checking my credit report. It's probably fine. It's not a fun thing to do. I even encourage. So my brother just moved to Australia and he had a, he has car insurance payments that were still kicking in in the United States, mm-hmm. and he his philosophy was okay. I'm just going to stop paying the car insurance payments because I'm in Australia, and this is stupid oh not so had, good. yeah to throw in the family group chat okay maybe like you might want to check your credit report and then your credit score because you know i know you're an engineer that can be tanking i know i know you're an engineer and you're doing fine but your credit score has absolutely nothing to do with actually how much you make and that was another surprise to me that i didn't know before i started working here your credit score britt told me this at emory federal credit union he's mm-hmm. a, a loan officer he's their director of business development he told me he said your salary is not even a part of the equation not at nothing. all nothing
1: it's how it's really a responsibility score. Do mm-hmm. you pay your bills on time? Yeah. How much of the credit available to you are you actually using? It's a, a big term called credit utilization. But essentially, if you have $10,000 available to you on all of your credit cards and yeah. you're using $9,999, that score is not going much. to be great. Yes, absolutely. But if it can be 30%, 25%, mm-hmm. even lower... That score is going to be your credit score is going to be that much higher. Because
4: it says I can take on this responsibility and I'm not necessarily going to go to the limits of it. Right. Um, I can
1: be responsible about what is available to me and how much of it I'm going to use.
4: The other crazy thing about credit scores is they actually predict the outcome of relationships more than salary. So if you have very different credit scores than your partner or spouse, there might be trouble rather than salary. And I didn't I didn't know that the Federal Reserve actually did that study.
1: So many of us, when we think about how we can improve our finances in 2019, you know, you might be looking at budgeting, you might be looking at paying off debt. All of those things are super important, but one of the biggest changes you can make pretty quickly is getting your credit score Mm -hmm. under uh, under wraps and figuring out the best ways to go ahead and make those improvements in 2019. If you haven't pulled that credit report, annualcreditreport.com, you can do it multiple times a year. Go ahead and look at it now. Until tomorrow, you're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC. We are the...